Hello, everyone, and we are live for episode 49 of the Fitness Business Growth Podcast. I'm here with Paul. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, man. I'm really excited for today's episode. We're going to talk about $100 million retention. Now, where this idea came around was there's two books, mate, one purple one, one blue one, that are very, very, very popular at the moment, and I am a massive fan of them. But there is the other side of that, uh, which is $100 million retention, making sure the back door has been closed. So, Paul, if I met you at a party for the first time, and I, you introduce yourself, who are you and what do you do? All right, cool. So, uh, father of two, um, husband one, and what I do is I basically basically help fitness business owners become better at their craft and therefore become more profitable over the long term with the view of not being in the fitness industry for one to two years, but I'm talking 10 to 20. So, I started off 20 years ago. I think it's 20 year anniversary. It's either this year or next year uh, in Fitness First. In the old um, one-on-one subcontractor model, yeah. the old days. Which uh, one, one, mate? Which, which fitness first? North Ride. Mate, I was actually, you're not going to believe this, I talked myself into a sales manager job at Fitness First Chatswood when I shouldn't have been the sales manager in 2012. So, I mean, it's a very, very, very small world. Very, very close. I remember that place opened. Yeah. Um, what was your involvement like in Fitness First, mate? Because, like, I was there when they went from blue to red because everyone was sick of those fucking blue shirts. Seven day trial, yeah. seven day trial, seven day trial. I was there before. I left before that that phase happened. I was there when they were in their really rapid expansion phase. So when they were going from like whatever clubs that all the way up to a hundred gyms they had nationwide. So I was there when they had like their conferences, but they had their their own like little mini Filex type thing. I actually won trainer of the year there twice um, mm. nationally, which is cool. I uh, didn't do shit for my career, but it looked cool. <laughs> uh, and I actually, I was only there for three years. I left uh, because of, well, funny enough, talking about stuff like this, burnout. I was doing mm. 60 to 70 sessions a week. I was very, very popular in the gym, but I couldn't maintain that volume of work uh, for any longer without just, I was doing, it was doing my head in, basically. So, so just to break it down so the audience knows, you were a subcontractor at Fitness First, and this is before boutique gyms, right? This is before you could open up a gym in a warehouse. Like, you had yeah. to work in a commercial gym. So Correct. were you, like, paying a percentage of revenue to Fitness First, or were you paying rent per week? What was your agreement at the time, and, and how did you feel about it? Cool. Uh, 225 a week, I think, was the number, the amount I paid back then. And, or, no, it was 250 because I went to what they called their passport membership, where I could go from you know club to club. So I had clients in Mossman, uh, North Sydney, St. Leonard's, uh, all the clubs around that area. Um, so my experience from the rent model, I actually didn't really have a problem with it because I was I was successful. That was mm. the key thing. So if the rent model worked really well because it was a fixed cost, but I knew I would have every single week. I knew I could. I had X now sessions per week. And because I had differentiated myself very early on in my career from the other trainers as someone of a muscle skeletal rehab specialist, I had leads. And, you know, I chose that speciality based on the location of the gym. The gym was connected to an RSL. Okay. Mm. We think RSL, we think older people, we think injuries. We think bingo. Um, We think bingo. We think, you know, uh, the $12 lamb roast, right? But a lot of the members who came from the RSL, they're all broken. They had back pain, knee pain, hip pain, shoulder pain. So I basically got a mentor and studied everything under the sun I could on corrective exercise and rehabilitation, despite being a 21-year-old male, because, which, you know, let's be honest, how many 21-year-old males are interested in rotator cuff rehab yeah. rather than, you know, you know, training fitness models? 
I did that because I was like, this is where the money is. Like, this is going to make it very easy for me to get booked up fully to, you know, 30, and 40, being, 50. And being 21 and seeing connected to the RSL, I would say that you had a level of maturity far beyond your years because I'm 33 and I think back to when I was 21 and, and, I, and I was not thinking that far into things. So who, who, who me. And, and do you mind sharing who your mentor was or like who, who did you work with or who, who had that biggest breakthrough on you to, to think differently as opposed to training all the young pretty girls in Sydney? Yep. Uh, so the young pretty girls wouldn't talk to me. So that made that easy. <laughs> but with a mentor, the guy, his guys, his name is Gary Crozier. He was a 2001 international trainer year for PT on the net when that was like a really big education website. And he was a personal client and student of Paul Check. So I started working with um, Gary like before I started as a PT because I had a shoulder issue myself and I needed to sort it out. Mm. So I saw him, was blown away by what he could do for me because I had no idea what he was doing despite being qualified. And then I was very quickly, uh, you know, studying with Paul Check. I was a personal student of his, personal student of uh, Charles Poliquin. So all those like early trenches. So they, Check taught me very early on to, you know, look at where you are and what the market is. And then off of that and differentiate myself from the other coaches there. So mm. I, I honestly, by the end of, it was, it was really smart. That wasn't my, I just did what I was told. Um, by the end of the first year, I was mentoring 12 other trainers within that club on how to do the same stuff that I did. So that was, a, that was the first time I started realizing, all right, cool. The business model here sucks. <laughs> like I'm just going to trade time for money until I die. Um, so and you, I just, I just want to chime in there, mate, because I've discovered something the last 12 months since coaching Jimonis. Being a one-on-one PT is often frowned upon, but you can make a fucking good living if you're willing to work. And the oh, fact I'll... that you can, yeah, so just like the fact that you can be at Fitness First, at that time, they would have been adding 200 members per month. You can book 40 consults. It is a great place to prove yourself. And I encourage everyone, hey, before you open a gym, just work in a gym for a couple of months. Because you know what? You may not like it and you may not want to sign a three to five year lease. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? The stuff you learn in a gym, Last for it in the commercial gym improves your ability to run online in person, yeah. own your own gym because you know you learn to talk to so many people, you learn how to sell, you learn how to deal with objections, you learn how to deal with pissed off members, and you learn yeah. all things about scheduling, financial budgeting, yeah. uh, you know, tra- yeah. trading, tracking direct debits. It's like the most valuable playground that you can go to, and you get so, paid to learn. Yeah, so in 2012, I was like doing a typical bros, but I loved bodybuilding, and mm-hmm. I just literally applied for a sales manager at Chatswood. Yep. fitness first and i applied for it talk the talk i got it i went in there and i'm like there's a sales board like what's a lead what's a booking what's a consult what's a show rate the trainer boards what's that and just like it exposes to you to like hey like if you're in the fitness industry it's all good and well to love fitness but there is a massive business element behind it and Mitch, my business partner, had the exact same experience at fit and fast at Charlestown. So like before we opened our gyms we had that commercial experience and i will say the fitness first sales training program was pretty good like it was it was good enough i actually did i was actually the consultant for i didn't mention it uh one and a half months before i became pt a membership consultant yeah i did sales i uh (laughs) first month i hit 52 which is pretty good and i hit 50 within two weeks of the uh the second month but i quit because i got my cert four actually delivered by that point and i wanted to move into the training realm yeah so So i couldn't agree mate it's a great place to learn it's a great place to you also see other trainers like like what who was successful who aren't successful what habits do they have what habits do they have and yeah I, i i literally like 
our gyms were successful because Mitch and I had that experience at Fit and Fast and Fitness First before we opened. Yeah, absolutely. People just frown on them all the time, but they're, they're, they're the best learning ground. Okay. And, and so you were, you were Pollockin, you were Paul Check, you went deep into, okay, I'm going to target a different segment of the audience, olders, injuries, they've got money, you identified it through your mentors. And yep. then you had 12 trainers working under you. Were you were you managing the trainers? Were you like selling session packs and they were delivering? Or were you so, more mentoring them to get themselves booked? There was two because, uh, I, I, again, I was already thinking of diversification of income. At that point, I had 12 trainers I mentored, so they paid me on a weekly rate to teach them the stuff I knew. And so you're, a, bit, you're a business coach before it was cool, mate. I, 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 you know, I didn't start coaching business like two years ago because I was like, yeah. I don't know shit yet. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I don't know anything. Um, because I, again, I was so technically focused and I managed four other trainers. They worked underneath me. Uh, they still got their own leads and did all that stuff because again, the gym was bringing in 200, 300 members a month, right? It wasn't a lack of leads. Um, my job was more to help them, uh, trial, convert, sell and deliver. So with once they got up to a certain point, I kind of let them go in terms of, Cool. They're, they're self-functioning units now. They know what they need to do. And we would just have our weekly you know, coaching session where we learned how to get better, solve client problems, and they would just keep on bringing in money. So it was a, it was a good model uh, back then. I know a lot of companies do it now as well. They put people into commercial gyms and have them training under their brand name. I was doing it while I was there because I wanted to have a degree of quality control, plus also all the programs and everything we were delivering via pieces of paper because we didn't mm. have smartphones yeah, and stuff. No like so it was a long, long time ago. And I guess like you being a technician at heart, is that fair yes. to say? Like you love biomechanics, you love biology, you love optimizing human performance. That's exactly Was there a point of diminishing returns for you or did you struggle to transition to like, hey, like I know this information, but I also need to sell this person. Did you struggle because that's what I find, Paul. I find amazing technicians struggle with the sales process and they start talking about thoracic rotation, thoracic extension, blood type. Like, just yep. give it a rest, mate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, both to both unequivocally, yes. So after about 12 years, uh, I'm not clearly not stubborn at all. Uh, <laughs> I realized that a lot of it was the information was great and all that kind of stuff, but I was spending a lot of time just talking at people rather than conversing with them and actually getting to facilitate change. So it was like, so, will sorry, you Paul, can, you give me, can you give me an example of when you were talking at someone? Cause honestly, this is the number one thing that I find fit pros do when they talk about their modality, i.e. they love Pilates, they love CrossFit. So can you give me an example of old Paul talking at someone and what that consult looked like compared yeah, to like little, how you've changed? It was a little smaller, but yeah, we can do that. Um, yeah. So with old Paul, it was like, all right, cool. Um, Steve, you've got, uh, looking at your blood work and stuff like you've got insulin resistance issues going on, that's going to cause ABC. But to fix that, we need to do DEF. And I would come up like, we're going to go for a, we're going to take uh, berberine at night because that's going to improve <laughs> insulin sensitivity by increasing number of receptor sites. You have more receptor sites when you eat carbohydrates, more of those carbs are going to be delivered to the liver, the skeletal muscle and the brain rather than being stored as fat. So the fat has an unlimited storage capacity. And I he's would like, love to see the look on Steve's face. Steve was like, what the fuck are you talking about, Paul? Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then once I, because we had quite, uh, at that point I was running a semi-private training facility and we had like a decent amount of members. And I was like, our training's really good. Everyone's getting really strong. Everyone's injury free, but the body composition stuff is not where I want it to be. What is going on? Um, and clients are just, I'm like, 
what are you doing for your food? Like, just let's break it down. Talk to me. And they didn't really understand what they were meant to be doing. And I was like, the first thought I had was like, they're stupid, right? Because I was young, arrogant. And I was like, wait a minute, these people can afford to pay me. They're, they're driving nice cars. They're working for companies getting paid a lot of money, et cetera. Maybe I'm stupid. Maybe I'm yeah. not communicating in a way that, that allows them to change and facilitates change in terms of what their life is what and what they need to fit into their day. Like talking yeah. to you know a mom with three kids to implement 10 minute walks post every meal to improve insulin sensitivity because uh, she's on the verge of type two diabetes is a stupid strategy, but she's yeah. never going to do it. So, and also talking to and someone. Did that, who, and did that frustrate you because you have such high standards of your own health? Like you couldn't almost couldn't understand, like, do you not even care? Yes. Uh, yeah. which again was a, a cognitive bias of mine and, uh, something that I was overlooking, you know, personally as a personal deficit and I was projecting it onto the clients. So I spent a lot of time going down the realm of psychology, counseling, learning how to communicate, client-centered coaching, um, uh, facilitating change, motivational interviewing, readiness for change, transforming ambivalence, and working out communication strategies and frameworks more so than actually a strategy so I could do it, but then also get my staff to do it as well. Because there was no... The way I figured it back then, because I was starting to read business literature more, I was like, if I can't get my guys to do what I do, I, I'm not going to expect them to know everything I know like about anatomy and physiology. It's not, it's not fair because I've had 12-year head start. Yeah, of course. Um, but if I can get them to communicate in a framework, which anyone can like, you know, they say people, sales can't be taught. No, absolutely. Sales should be taught, right? Um, people learn how to do sales. They can learn how to do anything. So the framework, you can teach it. So I spent a lot of my time with all this communication and psychology creating or studying frameworks that we could use to do that. So even if the trainer didn't have the level of technical skill that, you know, I would desire, they were still able to get the client an awesome result because the client could actually adapt yeah. and uh, sorry, implement what they said and actually get the outcome because is for the really, really technical stuff that I still spend my time learning about, uh, it's the one zero point five to one percent of clients will need it. Yeah, yeah. And that's it's like right? it, yeah. it's interesting you said the old Paul, the arrogant Paul, and you had to look in the mirror and say, like, hey, like they're not getting results. It's my fault because I'm not com yes. communicating in the way that they will understand. And that's such a fucking powerful frame. Like whenever something goes wrong in my business, it's my fault. Like, it's not it's, it's it's I literally didn't communicate it right. Like I didn't say, Do you understand the tasks that you have to do? And if yeah. they do understand it and it still wasn't successful, I need to make more steps. Like it's just everything is your fault. Exactly. I, I, you know, I tell all my students that as well. If your business sucks, it's your fault. And the first couple of times it's, it hurts because it does hurt when you realize mm -hmm. that you're the problem. Um, and we actually even teach with the, our fault model, I guess. I even teach it as my framework for getting clients to recognize that when they're not changing or when they're struggling with something, it's their fault as well not in terms of like you're an idiot or anything like that, but for them realizing that they're the problem that's stopping themselves from changing. So it's kind of like I could tell the client that, hey, eating, you're eating two liters of ice cream every night uh, and you're drinking six beers and you're, whatever you're doing at night, that's making you fat. That's making you gain weight. That's making you unhealthy. I could tell someone that and it, I wouldn't be wrong, but they're not going to change. Yeah, I love, like I love James Smith. I think he's very charismatic. I think his Instagram's amazing. He shouts calorie deficit deficit from the rooftop. Yep. 
easy to understand, fucking hard to do. Yeah, like, like, like sa- save more, save more money. Easy to understand, hard to do. Like yeah. some of the most simple principles, just because they're simple to understand, doesn't mean they're simple to execute. And I'm sure that frustrates you. I'm just going to do a calorie deficit. Well, you've been trying that for. 12 years now and there's somewhere along that seven day period where you have a meltdown and you have the ice cream yeah and we the framework i came up with it's called like specific impact change continue it's for the client you say hey i've noticed you're doing this tell me more about it it's a very curious approach to it rather than a judgmental and then you ask the client how's that affecting you and this is where you can use your technical knowledge to go to town on people it's like how's it like say they're binge drinking at night how's it affecting your sleep they tell you how much it sucks how's it affecting your training they tell you how much it sucks. So it's not you saying, oh, you know, if you drink alcohol at night, you're going to impact your recovery. No one wants to hear that. But yeah. if they say, yeah, man, I feel like shit. After a period of time, they realize that, man, man, it's my behavior that's causing the problem. It's not yeah. anyone else's fault. It's I'm doing the behavior. And then Mate, once it's, they it's, get to it's 2009 Christopher Nolan Inception. It has to be their idea. Yeah, exactly. To take. Right. That's exactly what it is. So at the end of it, you ask them, do you want to change or continue? And it's their idea to change. Uh, Some people want to continue and that's cool. Like it might be serving a bigger psychological need, but then with the change or continue, it's like shit, they've come to the point where they're like, yes, I need to change this rather than me going, you have to change this. And just like that one framework alone just shifts clients results dramatically. It's also the biggest thing I say on sales calls, mate. Someone will say, I need accountability. And the salesperson will say, oh, yeah, you need accountability. I need to check on you every single day. Yep. Once again, you're just telling, you're preaching. If you said, oh, like, you feel like I need accountability. Can you tell me more about that? And they will say, I failed in the past. I failed in the past. Like, day four, I fall off. I go on holiday. I don't come back into it. Like, they need to tell you the issue. Like, it's 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 so like it's, i still struggle with it today i'm like shut the fuck up like just like shh, like short arc short clipped vague questions and just let them expand yep and by the end of it they because they've told you the problem they realize they need help the sales process is so much easier i'm assuming because they've answered all their objections and they've exactly. defined what the problem is yeah you need them to realize that like you had the solution to their problem, which is you have the accountability that yeah. they need to identify it. I'm sure you see it all the time too, Paul. It's like keto sucks. Well, you just can't say that to someone because they watched Married at First Sight and therefore people on Instagram are doing keto. So yeah. I tell, like, you, you like keto. Can you tell me more about that? Are you yeah, still and- doing it? Are you still doing it now? Oh, nah, I, I'm not doing it now. Oh, like, why not? Oh, I found it restrictive. You found it restrictive. Yeah, like I just like I'd start off really good and fall off. And like, how long have you been doing that for? Six years. And like, do you still think that's a that that's a good path to do, or do you think you could explore other options? And they'll say like they're on the call to explore other options. Yeah. But if you exactly. just say keto sucks, they feel attacked. Yep. And as soon as someone feels attacked, they they shut down. Their frontal cortex goes, "No, I'm not going to engage in any productive discourse, and you're not going to get anything out of them." Hmm. Unless you beat them down, but that's another sales strategy. But a lot of people don't do these days yeah and at the end of the day you can't help someone that doesn't want to change and they need to want to change by asking them good questions i got a few friends and i used to like why are you doing that like don't do that like you're stupid like i like and i'm trying to help genuinely coming from a good place old angry paul put the food down yeah that's me but but like i should have asked a better question like hey like do you think those type of activities are going to lead you to having the gym that you want yeah exactly and asking well you get better questions you get better outcomes every single time 100 percent. so you were at fitness first successful trainer 
you were mentoring people before it was cool. How did you transition to Meldrum Performance Coaching? How did you transition into owning the gyms that you own today? And like, what was that that path like going from, even though you're a business owner in a PT, but to go out on your own and have to effectively find your own leads? Yeah, cool. So I have done the organic pathways, the paid pathway, all the there's not that many pathways. If we go for the Mozzie thing, there's four, but I've used all of them. So uh, when I left fitness first, I kind of just, I actually moved into musculoskeletal rehab. So just like treatment stuff. So like I traveled with like musical theater, like they bought like Miss Wicked, for example, I traveled with that, did all the treatment for that, worked with a bunch of Olympians, things of that nature. And of course, again, I was like, well, this is kind of restrictive. Uh, like I'm just treating people all day, which is fine. Um, I still need to get them training going forward because A, that creates recurring revenue for me. B, that creates a recurring result. So I opened up a semi-private training facility in St. Leonard's and I was lucky enough to have the reputation where I would keep getting people coming to me. It was entirely referral-based. Business partner did not have that luxury who came on board with me. He was young uh, in the industry in terms of years. He wasn't as uh, good as I was as a technician, so he wasn't getting those referrals. Okay. And so what happened is we were still lucky enough from the referrals I got in that I could get him fully booked for training. Um, again, I would say combination of luck and a lot of hard yards working. We then moved to the next facility and we actually were able to start doing, we were there doing semi-private training when Facebook ads launched and became a thing. So we like worked with Travis Jones, like back in the very, very early Let's days. Let's talk about Facebook ads, mate. Early days, Facebook ads. Facebook ads came about and what happened? leads poured in it was just so easy you could just talk whatever smack you wanted on your headline uh you use whatever image you want it was not stressful at all in terms of that and like it literally the business transformed immediately into hiring some more trainers to deal with the demand my business partner calling people and doing sales calls all day long and me doing consults that's kind of like the structure we had and we were able to take our facility and expand within one year of facebook ads coming up we moved into a 700 square meter facility in Crow's Nest. So for a semi-private training facility, 700 square meters is freaking huge. That's massive. Uh, so for some perspective, my gym's 178 squares, like it's small. It's There's good things about it and then some bad things about it. So the bad thing is it was expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a nightmare logistically to run. Like the amount of cleaning, uh, all the stuff you had to do. Like we, Our expenses were well over half a million a year. Um, we had 12 full-time coaches, all booked out, all doing semi-private from like 6 a.m. to 10, from 12 to 4 to 8, all booked out. Um, so we were doing, you know, you were talking about uh, earlier now, just before the call, like a fit stop or another gym with 400 members. We had 400 members doing semi-private PT four times a week, all with their own coach assigned to them to keep them on track. Man, that's a lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts. And like we were, again, Facebook ads were much easier back then uh we were bringing in 100 leads a month from the 100 leads a month we were bringing 50 and it's kind of where it goes into the topic of today what happened was bring 50 clients in um, whatever deal it was maybe retain whatever depending on the uh promotion it was 28 for 28 days 30 for 30 whatever structure people use but we would lose clients so our yeah. business stayed it went like that yeah because our retention strategies were shit yeah. Um, so, mate, we opened in 2015. We got lucky. And I yeah. think it's been important to acknowledge we were just product of the time. We used to click yeah. boost post and, like, without fail, like, the inbox would just absolutely light up overnight. I'd wake up to 20 messages. 
And we signed 330 people in like two months. And so we lost like 250. I'm like, like, cause it just, like, there was like, it felt like an infinite number of people. But I promise you, if you run your business like that, you will burn the area, which is what we did. Yeah. We came very close to burning the area. Um, we were in like St. Lens. The advantage for us, St. Lens, North Sydney is very transient. Mm. So a lot of people move in and out of the area very often. So we were lucky in terms of that. And there was more buildings going up and more times and more new people were coming in again and again. And I would say still the majority of the long-term sustained business growth clients, clients who still work with me online today, were brought in referrals from other clients because of the ones that, you know, me or some of the better coaches, because not all coaches were the same, uh, worked with in the gym and got good results. So we had to, at that point, really work at optimizing retention, which became my, my job in the business. And all through that time, I was mentoring other PTs, like on the technical side of things and setting up their gyms in terms of the systems. And then that basically led into when that gym dissolved before COVID uh, due to real estate issues of all the things in the world. Yeah. Uh, me just sticking on with the MPC, changing to MPC when that shut down and just moving purely into the mentoring space. It's interesting, right? Like, like back to luck again, like good lease, good timing, good real estate terms. Like if you have a three by three by three and they don't want to renew the, th- renew the next three years, you built this amazing business. Like that's where I do like online because yeah. like gym owners, I'm not sure they realize just how much risk they actually take in terms of council DAs, in terms of owners complaining, in terms of someone putting a brick through the window. Like the, it is like, it is serious business, which is why like, I think it makes perfect sense to go work at a fitness first, to go work at a snap fitness, to go work at it anytime, just for like 60 days. Like you might change your mind. Yeah, they had, and the, those facilities have security. Our, um, our leaving, right, was uh, the gym dissolving was literally, I got in there one day at 6 a.m. or 5, 10 to 6 for my head coach, and they were changing the locks. And I was like, what are you doing? And they're like, we're not happy with the contract. The building was, uh, there's a lot of issues with the building being sold as a heritage building. It had, it had a listing on it, and then it got wiped. And the building was worth far more, far more. Like, I'm t- it was a huge, Huge, like, you know, nine-story building right where they're building the crow's nest uh, light rail now. So the government was going to pay for it. So they would charge whatever they want, right? Yeah. Uh, who cares about a, a gym who's, like, in the basement all the way underground and what they want to do? So they just locked us out. They literally yeah, put our lease. We've ruined the selling. So illegal. Um, but they had so much money that we couldn't actually do anything about it, which really, really sucks. How did um, you feel, how did you feel in that moment? Ten past six, locks on the door. You built this business for years and years and years. Because I, I like I like sharing the highlights, but like yeah. you at your lowest point, like what was that like for you? I was actually saying relieved. Why's that? I was tired. I was like, I was like, how much longer can I go on doing this? That was that. I was at that point in my career. So the low point actually came before that. Because my business partner and I had a falling out, um, and like I ended up, I was running the place entirely by myself at that point. He was kind of bought out. I was like, man, uh, I'm juggling, juggling the ads um, and sales. I'm trying to deal with staff. I'm trying to train members too because I had to let a few trainers go for different issues. Uh, you know, member complaints. I'm like, how much longer can I work from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day? Like in trying to handle all these, bouncing all these balls. Like what, how, what's going to break first? Is it going to be me? <laughs> Is it going to be the business? And then when they did that, I remember I went out, I told all the members that there was just a, a water leak issue. I just dealt with it that day by uh, white lie. 
Yeah. Because they were doing construction next door to it. So I was like, cool, we can get away with that. Um, and we went and had a cup of coffee after that. And I just sat there for a little bit. And I'm like, this, and my thought was, this isn't the worst thing that could ever happen. Because. And at that point, you realize something needs to change because that should be devastating. Yeah. I was like, something needs, that should be devastating. All these people, the clients are more devastated than I was by can, a long shot. Can we dive into your business partnership that failed? So yeah. I've been a business partnership with my best friend, Mitch from high school, 2006. We are best friends. We are brothers, 50-50 until we die. Like we have that commitment. We have the commitment that if Ellen passes away, she gets percentage of the business for the yeah. rest of her life. That's the level of detail we've gone into. But while we are best friends, we are so different. Like I yeah. am marketing sales. He is operations and retention. I am sloppy with admin. I don't care about bookkeeping. Don't care about yeah. accounting. That's his problem. And yeah. But he's not up at 9 p.m. in click funnels. Like <laughs> I'm going to make this new funnel. So like yeah. I, I really do feel that we complement each other's strengths and weaknesses. Like what actually happened? And in hindsight, was it a communication thing? Was it just not the right person? Like how do you feel about it? Cool. So uh, just to be clear, we're friends now, me and the guy. Like we're, we're cool. Uh, we dealt with everything and sorted it out. We kind of came to the conclusion that it was a, a communication issue and then also um, wrong person in the wrong, wrong role. So I didn't, I was very similar to you. I didn't really care about, I didn't care about the marketing, for example. I didn't care because okay. I, I was, I always got referrals. Like it, for me, um, you know, spoiled by uh, opportunity, I guess. I always got referrals. And I didn't understand all that. I, I, not I didn't understand, I didn't put as much emphasis on it because I was like, if we do a good job and we do this and stick to our guns, we will be okay because we were okay when we did that. Like we got by, we didn't get by, we we're actually successful. He wanted to grow at a very, faster rate and kind of got sucked into some less than ideal marketing strategies or not marketing like sales stuff at the time where he promised things that we couldn't deliver okay. um and a lot of time because he was he had put this amount of pressure on himself to succeed at this really high level like you know you need to be a seven-figure business it needs to be an eight-figure business it needs to do all this stuff there was a whole bunch of shoulds that he was always aiming for where he would bring people in and i'd having to be doing a consult for for example and they're like, so are you going to do this? I'm like, absolutely fucking not. Like, this is not what we're offering. Like, no, I'm not going to train you one on one four times a week for 150 bucks. Um, yeah, okay. So it, at grow at all costs. Grow at all costs. And I was like, no, grow. And I still preach this to my students today. It's grow sustainably um, because if you burn your market, uh, if you burn your audience, it's a terrible idea, but it also burns you out. So he yeah. got to the point because he was so stressed out about it. Like it was causing him you know, mental health issues, not like he, not like anything terrible, but like he was so anxious and so stressed out all the time. Um, and just, you know, short temper. He wouldn't have been dealing with cancellations that well either. Oh, we got a cancellation. He was not a happy person. Um, uh, even the fluctuations in direct debit week to week were stressful for him. And we had clients of fortnightly payments. So I always, I'm like, it's like weight averages. You don't care about one measurement. You care about the overall sum over the course of a month, week, year. Um, so, so if, if you were, if you were the steady Eddie, you were just like, you were calm, you were relaxed, you were long-term focused. He was short-term focused. It was a communication issue. Like, did you Very guys so. just, did you guys, so like Mitch and I, we have a, we have a daily meeting for half an hour and yep. it's like, we air our grievances. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and what I mean by airing of grievances, like, Hey, like, I don't like the way you did that. Yeah. But like, if I let that go for seven days, when he comes over for dinner with his beautiful partner, Kate, and his son, Darby, 
in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, that, I'm still pissed off about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just, it, it almost ruins the relationship. Yeah. We didn't communicate enough. And, um, and it went two ways. He, well, it, it actually, it absolutely went two ways. It was my fault and his fault and this thing. Uh, I didn't communicate a lot of the things that he did that I didn't like and agree with uh, because I was like, I can't be bothered dealing with him getting the shits and losing his temper and then losing an hour, two hours to this event or losing mm. his productivity for sales. And I don't think he aired a lot of grievances with me because I started out as his mentor. So and he always had me on, I guess, he always said to me, I'm not saying this to sound like a, a dick. He's like, why are you doing this? Why aren't you a doctor? Why aren't you doing something like that where it's more, you know, science-based and you can use your knowledge about all this stuff for a bigger purpose, which was a nice compliment, but he didn't feel confident airing his grievances with how I was doing stuff. So like after it all ended, we were able to air our grievances quite effectively and get over it within a day. Like yeah. it was really, really quick. It's amazing what, what, what a three-hour chat and a coffee would do if you just have an uh, open conversation. And with Mitch and I, it is just the deepest level of respect. Yeah, and when you have that, it makes life like, business partnerships go so easy because you can have an argument about something or a disagreement and it gets solved and you find a better solution for everyone rather than yeah. one person winning their way. It's a Jeff Bezos quote. It's like, be like certain on the mission, but be flexible on the details. Yeah. And when you have two business partners, there's two ways to accomplish anything. And it's like, well, what way is better? And you both have different perspectives and you want to share that with each other. And sometimes he's like, Jamie, you're a fucking idiot. Like, that's a stupid idea. Like, why are you doing that? Like, why are you being so impulsive? I'm like, mate, like, it's time to go. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, at all times, it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a, it's always a pendulum. And you yeah. guys are kind of like your two different ends of the pendulum. And when you meet in the middle, it's probably the best way for everyone. 100%. 100%. So you moved on. You're now, gym's closed. It was relief. You were burned out. Did you go into the online space then, or when did you transition into, into I went that? back into commercial. Back to commercial, the good old days. I went to, I went to a Gold's gym, of all places, and uh, in the local area, and I just told my clients to follow me, and I would train them, but I would be doing very limited hours. Um, like, I'm talking six to ten, and then, like, either two to four or four to six. That was it. Um, Twelve to two or four to six. So I'd work, like, max six hours a day in the gym, and even then I would take a break. In the morning, uh, so I was training semi-private in the commercial gym, fifteen clients at a time. Which, as you can imagine, for everyone else in the gym was a bit of a shock because uh, mm. they were all one-on-one coaches. Like, what do you mean you can train fifteen people at once and get paid well for it? I'm like, you can train fifteen people well and get paid for it. Like, I basically ended up being a gym concierge, just walking around helping people with what they were doing. Yeah, so you detach, you detach your session rate from the outcome. Hey, I'm going to write you a program. There can be ten people doing ten different programs. I'm here to support you on your journey. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And, and that would have been revolutionary at the time because people just cannot get over 60 for one hour of time. Yep. It's the same way online coaches think like, how can you charge 120 a week as a 15 minute phone call? Because they're not paying for the 15 yep. minutes. Yeah. My most uh, expensive online coach is charging 350 a week for online. Um, and I help him with writing these programs because they're dealing with some deeper stuff because the problem is deep. So it needs to be uh, sorted out. But with that model, so when I was in Golds, uh, I basically, all right, cool. I'm going to make the thought process I had because I had time to think was I'm going to make my product or my business bulletproof. So I'm going to have the mentoring for trainers. I'm going to start exploring more, learning way more about business and like all the things I I don't know because obviously I didn't know a whole bunch of stuff, which is why the gym shut down. Uh, Besides the communication issues, that was a big thing. Like I could have been a lot better at a lot of business stuff. So I needed to address that block in my knowledge, that gap. And 
I'm going to make my business online flexible so I don't have to be there. So I can, I, I can be there if I choose. I don't have to be if I don't want to. And then that pesky flu came around mm. at that time, right? So I was doing that right at the time of um, uh, when COVID shut down. So when everyone was having a panic attack about COVID, like I got the message on the Monday, um, as everyone else did in New South Wales, that was shutting down by 12 o'clock that day. And I was operating uh, online with some Zoom stuff for 7 o'clock the next day. I was like, great, here's an opportunity to flex these muscles and see if the model works. Did you have belief then that you could deliver the exact same results online that you delivered in person? Or was that something that was shattered in that period? Well, uh, no, I didn't shatter any expectations uh, because I didn't believe I could do the same uh, results because I knew I wouldn't have the same resources because clients would be training at home and okay. all that kind of stuff. The movement would be restricted. So I was like, cool, we need to recalibrate our expectations of what people can achieve in that time. Can they get better? Absolutely. Will they get to their best? No, because the resources are limited. Um and like, I was totally okay with that. I was like, cause my perspective then was it's not for a lot of people. It's not about getting like an elite level result. They don't need it. They don't want it. They don't, they won't invest the time, effort, resources, and energy to get an elite, elite result with the cost that it has in terms of time, effort, real, all that stuff. So for me, I was just more interested to see, cause if cause my, my wife, uh, she was, she was, she's successful. So we we were financially okay. Like I wasn't stressed at all about financially. I was like, cool, I get some time off. I don't have to be in the gym anymore. Um, I'm gonna, so this that is feeling there, sorry, just jump in. The feeling you had when you closed your gym, it was like, oh, take a breath. Did you experience that again? Like, oh, like I can stay at home. I loved COVID. Uh, it sounds like really horrible because a lot of people really uh, struggled. It gave me the opportunity to, because I'd been in gyms from like you know early morning to late night for 15 years. Um, that's a long time to be in that environment and uh, anyone would get burnt out, I think. So for me, I was like, cool, this is because my wife still, she was considered, her business was considered emergency work. Um, so they stayed open even though they didn't actually have to do anything, which is cool for her. She just got her stuff done. Um, yeah. For me, it was an opportunity like, cool, how do I build the MPC program into something much bigger than what I thought I could because now I have the time to build it. What do I want it to be? I had thinking space because I wasn't surrounded by people all day. Like I was literally on the computer for two hours a day, like with Zoom calls with people. And the rest of the time from like, she was at work from like left at seven, didn't get home to 5.30. Um, I had all that time myself, just me and a cat. And mm. <laughs> to just think about yeah. what I wanted to actually build. So it was a yeah. very, very productive time for me. Yeah, I jump in a sauna three times a week and you could probably tell me the benefits. I don't really care. The fact is it's too hot in there for my phone. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just sit there. I sit there with my thoughts. Like yeah. it's, it's actually hard to like, just like to be completely alone and just think through yeah. things. Yeah. And that's, I got that for, you know, the entire COVID timeframe. Totally. Mm. Except on weekends, but like, um, yeah, totally learned. So I used that as an opportunity to learn as much as I could about, business as a concept in itself and all the strategies that work outside, how do they apply to fitness? How does the fitness industry change? Like the demands of it change any of those business structures or things that work for other people. And just to really invest as much time in creating the best product that I could to stop personal trainers 
to get a to get the results that I, I would get with people, but also to avoid the problems that I experience personally. So the percentage of your business now, Paul, if you don't mind me asking, like what percentage is it of you still training clients? Is in you're on the tools helping people get amazing results versus you're coaching other PTs to be just as good as you as a technician to deliver those results? I can tell you, I can tell you the exact figures. I've no no qualms about that. Uh, I'm doing my last in person training session on the 16th. Man, is, is, that, is that is that exciting? Um, yeah, I'm happy with it. Like, yeah, I'll I'll still do some occasionally, but it'll be like my last scheduled weekly appointment because we have a little garage gym, and yep. you know, I did it to keep the tool sharp, um, and just to help these people out for this year who they still wanted it. Yep. And it's kind of like uh, that. It's not Plan B, but it's like cool. This is just a little bit of extra cash, just in yep. case. And uh, can I share with you my deepest fear, mate? Yep. So I haven't run a session at our gym since like January 2021. Yep. And like, there is a chance in February, the stars are going to align. Everyone's going to be away. And I have to walk back into the gym like, uh-huh. who are you? Where have you been? I'm demonstrating burpees. I've oh, got two. We got one in Newcastle. I wanted Adamstown, one at Cardiff. So yeah. it's, it's like a group program, but like it was my entire life. I would have run 20,000 group sessions. And now yeah. I'm still terrified. Uh, it'll, it, you know, it'll come back like, it'll, the first five minutes you feel awkward as shit and then it'll come back. Yeah. And you'll be like right back in the groove. So yeah. there's that. Um, Online training, I literally would maybe spend because I've automated a bunch of it and outsourced it. I might spend an hour or two a week at most on it, like very little time. Most of the time, I'll do something to improve the customer experience from a retention point of view. Um, I work on the product rather than uh, with the product because my wife now takes care of a lot of the check ins, so I don't have to do any of that. And student delivery, I do five one hour calls a week and I do maybe three one-on-one calls and then the rest of the time is working on so i want to go into student delivery so just so i'm super clear because i actually just don't know and i like going on these journeys without getting to know you beforehand so you have a coaching program is it for personal trainers is it for gym owners and like what what is the goal when someone comes into your program and like if is there a 12-week plan like someone starts at point a to point z what do you want them to leave with yep um cool so Step one, they come in the program uh, from whichever source they get. So whether it's from an organic lead or referral, whatever it is. And the first thing we do is we onboard them immediately where we have it done digitally, like repeatable. And then we also book in a call with me and we have someone speak to my EA who takes them through like all the, you know, the logins and all that kind of stuff, right? The call with me is to figure out before they do that, they have to do a business audit. And the business audit is just to find out where they are in terms of what systems they have for their business, how much they know about business and all these other questions where I can see how many things we need to do on day one. Because, for example, if they haven't got any idea of a business plan, we kind of need to look at that. Like they've got no idea what they're doing. They've got no clients. We need to solve some problems, get them some wins. The initial call with me is for me to get to know the student, to find out what they want to achieve about the fitness industry, what their general level of knowledge is and where they're, weak links are and from there we put them we give them a whole bunch of resources so programs check-in forms habit stuff um nutrition coaching tools a whole bunch of tools that are kind of like they're able to actually start delivering work yeah. so they Did, can so, yeah so i'll share my experience mate in covid it's when i signed up with ag and ap for systems by design I'm a marketer by nature. We grew our online business to close to 100 members really quickly and i built myself an online prison like I actually wasn't ready to fulfill that many clients. I wasn't ready to deliver. 
it got to the point where I was doing either a checking call or a sales call. And if you've watched my profile for a while, mate, you know, you know which one I was taking. Yeah. And it's, it's actually, it's, it's a weird thing, right? Like you can have the online business of your dreams, but like you hear that online coaches get burned out because nothing is repeatable. Like nothing. Yeah. Like, can you reset my trainerized password? Mate, you can do it yourself. Just like, like follow, follow these steps. Yeah. I um, have like nearly everything documented or like a VA on hand to be able to deal with those issues because it yeah. makes my life easier. So once I have that initial call with me, I make them watch a video that goes for an hour and a half and it's about making their first 90-day plan. And it's basically with my students in the group stuff every quarter. So we'll do one in, what, three, four weeks now. Um, we do a 90-day plan on what they need to do. And as I go, because I know each student um, to an extent and they've done work and I see their KPIs and I see what they're wanting to do, like we have a whole bunch of data points that we measure for them or we give them feedback on each week. Uh, I want to make sure that for each no-day plan, we put people in the right direction. So they focus on what matters now and it sets them up for future success so they don't have a problem where they can't deliver the service. So the majority of you guys in the last no-day call, it was figuring out, all right, cool, what programs do you need to put into your product? What nutrition stuff do you need? What are the deliverables you need to do to then actually deliver your service? Because a lot of them are coming to me and they've been working in the gym or whatever it is, and they're like, I want to deliver an online program. I'm like, what do you have? And they're like, nothing. I'm like, okay. cool. Well, before we market, so you don't screw up your leads, uh, you don't d- piss off customers. Maybe let's build a product. So your, tip- your typical avatar is an online is a one-on-one trainer. They've had probably some success in the gym, yep. and they want to transition to going online, as Correct. you discovered, just to have some more freedom and to get off split shifts effectively. Yeah, basically. That's it. And then like I still work with gym owners, but it's not as not as frequent. And I work with in-person trainers who want to maximize that space by having more trainers underneath them. But the online is probably 70% of the market. Okay. So each nine days we rebrand out different things or we replan out their next nine-day plan uh, and figure out what they had to deliver. We deliver a lot of the resources ourselves uh, for trainers so they can kind of like be done for them so they can go and execute because if you tell a trainer to design like a bunch of social media templates, they'll look at you with a dumb look on their face and they'll freak out and procrastinate over it for weeks at a time. Yeah. And we'll just rather go, you know what? Here's some shit that you can use today. Go and actually start creating some content around your niche avatar, create your ambassador program, reach out to your friends list, do all these other action steps that you, that we know yep. that you can do and get some people in, get some runs on the board before you worry about your perfection. So let's just say someone comes to you, Paul, They've mm-hmm. gone through your 90-day program. They have this 16-week masterpiece or six-month masterpiece, however long their program is. Yep. At that point, do you help them with like lead generation too? And do you help with them with sales? Is that part of the process? Yep. So we have a marketing person on board and uh, now all our stuff's organic though. I'll okay. rephrase that. Uh, we don't have anyone that we uh, like in the, like some of our gym owners do their own marketing campaigns and stuff like that. They've learned off people like in a circle or whatever. Um because a lot of these online guys, they only need to get to 33 clients to get to 100K incomes based on the pricing models that we teach. And we, they are also going from hybrid in-person to online. If they get a huge influx of clients, they get really overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Right? We had one client, uh, one student do a Facebook group post and she got 36 inquiries. And she's like, so, so you feel as though for these new trainers, because I was fairly harsh against organic marketing earlier in the year, and I've changed my tune a bit. Uh, I've grown up a little bit, Paul. You feel as though that if a go, trainer goes from one on one in person to online, they can grow to 33 members organically. 
and you feel as though that that is a more sustainable way to test the product, to have some runs, to also fail, to optimize the program. And if they came to me and dumped money into ads and we got them 50 clients, they would just crumble under the pressure. Uh, no, for some, I would say go dump money if I had the resource. If I had yeah. the resource where it's, uh, I, I'm not attached to organic and all, pay, all paid. Uh, I'm not attached to anything. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going uh, a message about, it. I'm going to go paid next year. Um, mm. Because I've been, I made the choice to stick with organic this year to see what I could do and to learn about it. So I did it as an experiment for myself. Like I, I learned something. Uh, I learned, cool. Uh, from students who are doing paid, I'm like, cool, I see what they're doing wrong or I think I see what they're doing wrong. I'm, I'm just using it as a learning platform for myself. Yep. Because we get trainers to become uh, what I call subject matter experts in particular niches. They, gen- they generally tend to do well with their organic content because it's very, very focused. It's very, very centered. I'd love to expand on that, Paul, because people won't know what avatar and niche focus means. So if you're an online trainer, please correct me if I'm wrong. You need to help one person and you need to solve one problem. You just can't be general weight loss because you can't charge premium prices. So when I, every single ad I run, group gym owners, attention group gym owners, I am trying to repel one-on-one trainers because they're not ready for me to dump money into ads. So when you is that is that is that is that fair to say what you kind of like who do you help who's your passion do you do you yep. look for a blue ocean red ocean I'm just so curious mate cool um so I really like Hamozzi's idea of you know finding a starving crowd like you know is the market growing do we have the resources to pay for you pay for it are they desperate for help and can you find them I love that approach um, so I don't really look for a blue ocean like a totally unique market a lot of the time a lot of my coaches. I would say 60% of my coaches are the avatar that they want to help anyway. So like I, I got a couple of girls who specialize in bikini and glute transformations and that's what they look like. So mm. for them, I'm like, your marketing literally just needs to be, your organic marketing needs to be before and after pics of what you get do with your girls. And yeah. she gets a consistent um, anywhere between three to five leads a week, but she closes two to four per week, every single week without fail at a very, very sustainable rate for a business. So she's like, you know, buying her first investment property at the moment. Um, how also- important How important do you think it is to be a, a representative of your product? Depends on the product. Uh, it depends on what the product is. So with this particular girl, she is like the archetype of it. Like she could be a bikini competitor in six weeks if she let me train her hard enough, right? Yeah. Um, just, just skip one meal hop on stage. Basically skip one meal hop and step her and you'll be good. Um, she'd be good like that. Like for other... Uh, females I work with, I'm going to use females as an example, they're PCOS, menstrual cycle disorder people. They're really good at dealing with that. And I, you know, I teach all that technical side, which is the fun stuff for me. So Paul, but, share your secrets. How does someone find that avatar, find that niche? In particular, that one, because like, for example, menopause, over yeah. 50, like, like autoimmune conditions, gut health issues. How yeah. do you find those people? If, if you're doing organic marketing, because yeah. I suck at organic. Cool. Um, so I would use something which I call the hub and spoke model, I guess, which I actually stole from Justin Welsh. Um, I, stole, I borrowed, I paid for it. So I paid for yeah. the course. Let's say I paid for it. It's basically what's your hub, which is kind of like your main topic that you're talking about. Let's say it's um, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Cool. What are the five, what are five or six topics that relate to polycystic ovarian syndrome? It could be resistance training. It could be insulin resistance. It could be identifying the type of PCOS, whether it's androgen sent, uh, overproduction of androgens, underproduction of estrogen, whatever derivative of PCOS it is, lifestyle strategies, psychological strategies, 
and then like long-term health things while you having to deal with it. Then for each one of those things that you talk about, you would do five to six specific post types around that particular content. One would be an actual post, which I would break down to a carousel. So, hey, got PCOS, uh, these three supplements help, ding, ding, ding. One would be a motivational post, which would be, cool, this is, hey, meet Susan. She had PCOS, now she doesn't. Um, like a testimonial or a story about a client. Uh, contrarian, which is where you say something that goes against the common grain, where you're trying to create a little bit of controversy and a little bit of a James Smith-like, you know, eating calorie deficit, you piece of shit type post. Um, that's kind of like people with PCOS need to eat carbs because that goes yeah. against uh, some wisdom on PCS, for example. Observation is something that you talk about that you've noticed as a coach. And then yeah. um, the last one was observation. Prediction. See, there was another one. But yeah. the whole idea is to go, hey, this is PCOS. I'm Paul. I'm a subject matter expert in this because I can talk about it in so many different ways. Mm. And then when girls, uh, girls, guys, whatever it is, do that, I've got tons of different niches. I've got um, some people working with PCOS, some working menopause, some working with alcohol and cocaine addiction of all things, which is pretty out there. Um, some One guy whose uh, niche is skinny Asians, skinny fat Asians, because he's the avatar. Um, it's unreal. I don't think I'd be a perfect representation of that niche, mate. He he crushes it on that. He does great. Um, yeah. uh, another one, like mums of bubs, like young bubs, they all, basically all their organic content, content becomes about who that market is and what problems do they solve. They talk very little about themselves and what they do. Very, very little. Uh, Cause I always say to them, the audience, you know, they care about knowing about you every now and then, but they don't need to know every detail of your life. Yeah. I love that, mate. So I make it a point to not talk about what we, what we actually do on the podcast. I never, ever mention what we do. I, <laughs> we help. <laughs> yeah, I talk about it. People just find out. But man, yeah. I love that, right? Uh, one thing I will say when I was making content early in the year, and I'm very, very, very new to this game, and I made some mistakes early on, I tried to be very contrarian because I, I look up to James Smith. I think he's yep. great. And I was so against certain things that Jim Owners were doing. And at, the, and at a point in time, Paul, like, it's just not who I am. I'm a pretty nice guy. Like, I don't want to yep. upset anyone. I don't want to make anyone annoyed. Or, mm. And I think, like, it's okay to have a contrarian view, but, like, do you truly believe it? And it's not yeah. what you say, it's how you say. So I could say, I think organic marketing is stupid. Yeah. Or for, for local group gym owners in Newcastle, or I could say, hey, like you can do that. But for me personally, in my experience, I've found there's a much better way. Here's the evidence. Yeah. And that can be a contrarian view. Like what, what I put up a while ago, and I got a lot of DMs about from trainers who were pissed at me. What it was, was it? Was, um, your, um, your retention... If your retention sucks, it's not because of your lack of systems, it's because your product shit. And a lot of people got um, pissed off at me about that uh, because mm. they were like, oh, I'm saying that they're shit at their job. And a lot of the time I was like, no, the actual point of the post um, is I'm, you're not shit at your job. I don't think you're shit. I think you're just delivering the wrong thing to the wrong person. So the actual caption explored, like, if you're dealing with general population clients and you're giving them macro splits and they don't understand that, that's the reason why your attention yeah. shit. You've got it's the old, it's, yeah, it's old Paul prescribing berberine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's a lot of the protocols that people use are great protocols, but they're just applying it to the wrong person at the right time. So you haven't identified your client level correctly, your client's level of competence. So it's not clients are leaving a lot. Of, clients will leave a lot of time because they get overwhelmed. Hmm. Uh, so they won't leave because yeah. they hate you. 
because they're not so, they're like not succeeding. So in regards to $100 million retention, getting them world-class results, being a world-class practitioner, having a world-class product, ensuring that like the product you are delivering is for the right person, the right avatar, that's half the battle. Yep. I will challenge you on one thing in, in what I've seen from the group fitness industry. Mm-hmm. What do you say to someone like myself who says, I think community is more important than results? It's a good, um, again, it would depend on your avatar. So group fitness, yeah. I would say, yeah, it's uh, a lot of time. Absolutely. People stay for yeah. it. Absolutely. If I was training elite level bodybuilders or physique competitors, if they're staying for the community, uh, they're not elite level bodybuilders. Yeah. Competitors. So it's, 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 it's so interesting, avatar. right? Because I think you need to be really careful who you listen to. Yeah. If you're in a group, group gym, I'm telling you, community is important. Oh, if you want to train elite level athletes, don't fucking listen to me. <laughs> listen to Paul. And I I literally, yeah. And I find that like, because there's so many people with opinions and you see the same people coming on 25 different posts. I listen to one man, Paul. Guess who it is? Alex Amosi. I do not listen to any other type of business coach because like I get conflicting views. I get confused. I get anxious. Then all of a sudden I'm building a funnel, doing retention, doing community, doing results, prescribing berberine. And before you know it, I get nothing done. Yeah, and that's a, it's a good point. You, you stick to one thing and you get the benefit out of it. I see it with the elite physique community. They bunch from someone does a show and then they jump to a, ne- a different coach the next time. It's like give that church coach an opportunity to change a plan based on the feedback that they've got and how you responded to that prep because guess what? As soon as you go to a new coach, they got to learn how you, how you respond to shit. Same thing with elite level athletes. Like um, <laughs> you're coaching, and this is a thing for results, coaching results and individuality gets better over time. It's not done on day one. Okay. Is that because system? you you learned you you know the human being better? Yep. You cannot individualize on day one. If someone says I can give you a fully individualized program on day one, they're talking out their ass because I don't know how you respond to volume. I don't know how you respond to certain movements. I don't know how you tolerate muscle damage. I don't know how you tolerate carbohydrates. I don't know how anything for you works. I'm just making a whole bunch of assumptions or guesswork about my experience and what's worked for certain people, but you may behave very, very differently. So mm. Like for someone says the individualized day one, they're an idiot um, because the more, they're lying. But then the longer you work with the coach, the better it gets. So if you listen to one piece of advice and you say, all right, cool, this is the, like the Homozi, for example, you get everything. You're eventually going to get everything you can out of him. Then you move to the next level. And that's a really good strategy. Yeah. Like, hey, you yeah. may never get through it all. He might, you might get $100 million leads and $100 million offers and make $200 million. And who else would you need to listen to at that point? But for most people, it's like if you can, you know, listen to like just one bit of advice and implement that, you're going to be better off in trying to take in the advice of, you know, Alex mm-hmm. Mozzie, Gary V, uh, Ray Dalio, all these people and putting it all together. You're just not really going to um, yeah. get any concrete direction. The cool thing is Mozzie listens to all those guys anyway, so he gives his spin on it regardless. With your vast experience, mate, since you were 22 years old, how old are you now? I'm 40. 40, 18 years in the industry. What is your opinion on the current state of fitness business coaches giving advice when they've never run a fitness business? Why do you think I open two gyms is my answer. Because so you, when I'm doing it now is okay. I want to be authentic. And for me, mate, like, like that's why I resonate with you because you, you've done it. 
And I'm not saying, and then you know what I hate the most, Paul? It is like, oh, is Tiger, is Tiger Woods caddy better than his, is Tiger Woods his caddy better at golf than Tiger Woods? You're not fucking Tiger Woods, mate. No. Like, like you're not Tiger Woods. You're running a gym. And I think we can both testify that I made so many mistakes in the teens in like 2015, 2016. Hmm. And if I use those exact same strategies today in my gyms, they would fail. Yeah. And I think it's not what worked in the past. It is like, it is a different world post COVID. And I think it's important to have someone who has that experience of like, because there's something about putting your own money into a gym. There's something about putting your own money to ad campaigns. There's something about testing things first. So you shout from the hills that, hey, you should definitely do this. Yep, absolutely. That's why I don't target any uh, gym owners yet for any stuff for optimizing the system. I have people reach out to me and I work to them, but I don't ever talk about it in my marketing at all. You can go through all my stuff. I, I say this can improve your attention, but I don't do anything ever about improving your business and getting more, uh, making more money because, hey, my I have done it in my gyms in the past. I have to do it again now. So I'm only for I love that. Months, right? So if, I, yeah. if I'm just talking all this shit and, oh, your gyms are shutting down, I look like the biggest fraud ever. I can't stand when um, fitness business coaches talk about, oh, I sold my gym because I hated running it. By the way, I'm going to teach you how to do it. It's like, where's yeah. the congruency in that message? It's like, uh, you know, build your gym so it runs itself by sold mine. Um, well, if your business is running itself and it's profitable, why the fuck would you sell it? Yeah. Yeah, no. Like, yeah, no. Get it running for as long as you can, then sell it when you retire. <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky it's a tricky one. But like, I, that's where like, when me and Mitch first started like helping gym owners, like we made a pact like, hey, like we are not going to talk about things that we don't know. And it's weird, mate. Like occasionally I catch myself stepping out of line. And if you ask me how to run Facebook ads, I can talk about it for hours and there's no um, bar, cur. But the second I talk about hiring staff, yep. like, I'm like, yep. So you go to seek, is it seek.com? Like I just, I seek. mumble, yeah. I fumble, I do 25 takes, but it's just, yeah, I find it really interesting that like if I try and speak about things I don't know, like I just, I look like an idiot. I sound like an idiot. And that's why I don't talk about, I don't, you'll never see me. Well, not yet. Not, never. Never say never. I don't ever talk about paid advertising because I'm nowhere near an expert in it. I live with mm. people like yourself who are far, far better than I am. What is the future of Mel, Meldrum Performance Coaching and what do you want it to look like in 2024 and beyond? Cool. So next year, actually in January, the second week, uh, we're doing our fir- I'm doing my first ever international uh, tour, which is cool. So I'm going to I'm actually going to a gym in Hong Kong, but I'm teaching technical stuff. So okay. it's like how technical stuff and uh, some retention strategies. So how to make them better coaches is my thing. So next year we are basically going to, that's what I messaged you about, going into paid marketing uh, to expand the program because this year was, can the program run in a group function at scale? Like it's currently got 70 to 80 trainers in it and it's running totally efficiently. So it's proven it can handle that. And our numbers now, I can take the system to the next level. So it's to grow that business to its next stage. And we've also got um, corporate agreements with you know the biggest gym chain in Australia and either the biggest or second business RTO in Australia. So hopefully becoming their only their preferred partners, basically. So it's looking at growing Melbourne Forms Coaching to the next level like that, and then more international international lecturing on the technical side of things. An international international lecturer from working at Northride at Fitness First. Yeah, that's right. old angry old angry Paul. Yeah, that's what old angry Paul wanted to do, but Paul, old angry Paul did not have the skill set to do that. What's one question I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? 
I think you did quite well, so I'm very happy with it. Oh, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah. Is there any – I'll change that question because I want, I want this question. What is one thing – what is one misconception about being a, a successful personal trainer that you see every single day? Um, it's not about you. So I'll always come back to it. It's not about you. A lot of trainers, uh, they think it's all about them. It's about how you make the client feel. If client feels good. No, if you make every client feel good, your business works. Awesome. Well, mate, we've run late. Sorry to help you out. I just was engrossed in this conversation, mate. I really, really appreciate your time. No problem. Um, and, and I hope people found value for that because like retention, results, community, it all matters. And you will burn through the area. You will run out of people. And That's reputation, true. you cannot outmarket a bad reputation. That's absolutely true. I agree with that 100%. Awesome. Th- thanks for your time, Paul. Appreciate it. Take care. Uh, are you there, mate?